Hello and welcome to Conversations from the ANF podcast. In this episode, I speak to Christelle, an adult transracial adoptee. She shares her experience of being adopted as a 10-year-old girl from a Madagascan orphanage by a French family she'd never met until she was flown to their home in the south of France. Christelle's experience is stark and she's open and honest in relation to the impact on her and the challenges that that has manifest. She now supports adoptees as well as raising awareness of adoption issues through visual arts. As always, if you've experience of adoption, fostering or special guardianship from any perspective, personal or professional, and would like to share that on the podcast, please do get in touch through the Facebook page or Twitter, or you can email us at andfpodcast at gmail.com. My name is Christelle Pedicura, and I am based in between the UK and Portugal at the moment. Um, I am a coach, so I um, most of my work is really around uh, working with adoptees and coaching them um, to navigate uh, journey of adoption, uh, but I'm also a multidisciplinary artist and a curator, so I do a lot of work in the cultural space. Uh, I run fashion shows, I do a lot of work um, around short film, uh, so anything visual, uh, visual culture is uh, where I, I work. And previous to that, I did a lot of work also in education, so I worked for 10-15 years in the education sector. Uh, in education management, so I used to travel quite a lot to different uh, country um, doing education programs. So that's me. Um, in terms of my adoption journey, uh, it all started in Madagascar, that's where I was born. Um, and so the journey in Madagascar was, um, I mean, yeah, my adoption didn't start straight away. I was 10 when I was adopted from Madagascar to uh, south of France. Uh, but before I get adopted, I I was, uh, um, so my mother passed away when I was about six, seven, and uh, she left me with the Catholic missionary that were working in the village at the time. And from the Catholic missionary, I, I was put into, um, uh, what do you call it? I've lost my, my thoughts. Um, orphanage, that's it, yeah. sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, so from the Catholic missionary, I was put into an orphanage, and then from the orphanage, I was adopted in France. So I've done quite a few movements already before I get adopted. So I, I arrived in France, I was 10, which is quite an issue uh, for um, intercultural, uh, intercountry adoption, be adopted at that age, because you've already got quite a lot of knowledge about yourself and uh, a lot of memories. So they don't normally... Um, do that kind of adoption. Uh, and so I was adopted each time I arrived in South of France, not knowing the language, uh, culture shock, uh, and everything uh, to go with it because I ended up in a very tiny village in South of France. So there was not many people my color um, or with my culture in the village at the time. Uh, and for me, at the time, it was just about surviving, I suppose. Um, it was just getting along and trying to fit into the system, to the culture, and not really asking many questions. Uh, but looking back, I know that, you know, I needed a lot more support uh, in that sense in terms of trying to adapt to a new culture, to adapting to a new family. Uh, and especially, like I said, I was 10. 
I had all this memory from my past uh, that was hanging behind me. So I was kind of caught up in between two culture. So it was quite difficult to, to navigate uh, at the time. And I didn't realize how much that story kind of impacted myself at later on uh, in, in my adult life. Um, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I did my early education in France and then I came to the UK uh, to do my university years. And uh, as you do, you end up staying <laughs> life. <laughs> life makes you um, settle down. So I stayed in the UK for about 25 years. Um, and then last year, I, I decided that I needed something new as well. So I've uh, kind of just trying to, to move to, to Portugal. So I've been here since September. But I'm still coming back to the UK quite a lot for work and for uh, different opportunities. Um, so that's that's mostly my my journey. And I think mm. uh, now I'm I'm working with adoptees because for me, navigating that adoption journey was very difficult for me. So uh, it's it's now for me an opportunity to support other adoptees for them to go through that process because it's not easy. Uh, like I say, yeah. we don't tend to have much support from the system, uh, from the agencies or from uh, families. And I think it's really important, especially when they come from a different culture to where you are being adopted. Uh, and I think representation is so important. And when you have to grow up in an environment where there is no representation at all, you kind of lose yourself, especially at age 10, when you are starting to build some kind of identity, then you are thrown into a different culture with no explanation. Um, it, it gets very, very difficult then to navigate who you are. Uh, and even little things like what you want to do in life is very difficult because if just absorbing new things, and it's almost like... Uh, brainwashing in a way because he's he taking all these new things and he don't really have any choice or any say in the matter. Yeah. He's just trying to fit in. Uh, so that's making very confused about who you are, all your past. It sounds like it's almost like your past didn't matter. You've got all this new culture you need to learn about and you need to embrace and you have to get along with it. Um, so that's created quite a lot of confusion. Uh, and mm. And that's part of the reason I am um, supporting other adoptees now to go through that uh, transition in life um, and hopefully help making their life a little bit easier um, as we go yeah. along. Um, and also, I think for me, one of the, the difficult part that I found with my adoption is, um, you know, I've done a lot of work in the culture space, as I said earlier, and I've done work in, in theatre, so have... Um, um, explored my adoption story through um, telling it through theatre pieces. So I I explored, for example, an area around my name. So Christelle is not actually my birth name. So that was the name that I was given uh, when I was 10, when I was adopted. And again, as part of my identity, I found that very difficult because at age 10, that you've been called by a certain name and then suddenly you have to respond to a completely different name. And I think when you are young enough, if you are adopted as a baby, you might not notice the difference, but I think age time, it does make a difference. And that's also a very confusing um, place to be. Um, 
so it's almost like a, a split of personality in a way. You've got like up to age 10, you're called this person. And then from age 10, you have to take on this new identity of a, a brand new name. Um, that is one thing that I find difficult. Yeah, I mean, it, you're sort of describing that and it's, it is unusual for older children, we sort of we, when we think of adoption, we often think of younger children, babies mm. and infants. Um, so, can I ask you about that process? I mean, did you know you were? I mean, obviously, you're a little girl who's experienced a terrible loss, and then put into an orphanage, which is can be complicated environments, and especially in a you know a country where childcare has got a different you know different culture and a different expectation, a different standard. So, did you know that the plan was for you to be? adopted did you were you aware of what was going on not at all i i think i've become aware i mean i because you know my memory is not that clear about the, the time scale of how long things happen that I, I can't remember exactly how long i was at the missionary there was a mention already when i was at the catholic missionary that some family in france were going to look after me um, but at the time, even the word adoption, I didn't know what that meant. Um, so, and then I was put into the, the orphanage. So I thought then it was, that's what they told me about this family in France was not happening because then I spent quite a long time uh, at the orphanage. Uh, and from my memory, it felt like almost like instantly from one day to the next, I was on the plane and going off to France. Uh, with no not much um, notice about oh you are going to to this family now. So the last time I remember was when I was at the Catholic missionary that I was mentioned that you know I ha I received some photograph of the family, and I was told I was going to go there. But um, yeah, not much, not I much mean, information. It, I mean, just telling the story it sort of feels like from such a different time. You would hope that that wouldn't be what happens now, but you know. That the fact you'd not even met these people, you know, moved mm. to a country where you don't speak a language, that 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 feels like a, a almost well, it feels like a cruel thing to do to a ten year old. If I'm honest, it is. I mean, when I like I said at the time, I I didn't really know much what everything meant, but it's in my adulthood when we're thinking about it. It's you know, I I wouldn't dream to have to do that to any child. Um, to you know, take it from one culture to another at that age because I mean it's hard enough to be adopted as a baby because it still affects you. Um, but when I think it's when you have all those memories, it's it's really mm. difficult because you also don't know what happened to your family. You know, it's the same village. Uh, from one day to the next, I, I don't see my family anymore, and you know, in my head, I've got all this question. And it's almost, you know, for many years, I felt like my family completely abandoned me and because I couldn't understand why we are in the same village. I'm not seeing them anymore. I know my mother left me uh, with this um, Catholic missionary, but I didn't understand why my grandparents were not coming or why my brother, my uncles were not coming. Um, I went back in 2010 to Madagascar and visited my family. So... My uncle, I mean, it's it's a, again where I grew up in, in Madagascar is a, a very rural place. So my grandparents will live in a completely um, very, very rural. So you would have 
to cross rivers and walk for miles to, to get to where I was living. Um, so my uncle and my grandparents were not even aware that I was I got adopted. Um, they didn't really know. Um, so when I went back, this is probably 25 years later. <laughs> um, so they they didn't even know where I was or if I was still alive. Or um, so that was also a bit of a shock to to know that they didn't know uh, I was adopted. Um, and also I then found out that you know at the time we're talking about. Now, so I was born in the seventies, and Madagascar gained independence from France in the sixties. So we're talking about just ten years difference between the independence and um, when I was born. So my grandparents are those generation of people who would have had to face colonization by France. Mm. So I think then realized when I went back that um, my grandparents would not have come anywhere near the French at the time, Um, even if they knew I would have been left there uh, by my mother. So I think they would have just stayed away and decided this is the mother's decision. Um, we're not going to get involved. So there's still that bitterness and that pain that they went through uh, the colonization. So I think for them, they, wasn't, they couldn't understand why I would even be put to the French <laughs> um, for, yeah, for that time. So, yeah, it's quite complex. <laughs> yeah, itself. I mean, yeah. You're smiling and you're laughing and it's very good humoured, but I mean, it's a really quite a dark story, isn't it? It's a... It is. I can laugh about it now. Um, I I didn't laugh about it when I went back um, mm. in 2010. It was a very emotional journey. Um, yeah. I, and I didn't... When I went back, I went back to do some charity work. I didn't even uh, went back to, to say I was going to meet my, my birth family. Uh, it's only when I arrived there that I decided, okay, I'm going to the village where I grew up and see what happened. And I did find my half sisters and uh, my uncles. So it just led. Eventually, I ended up having to go to where my grandparents lived. And um, so, yeah, it turned out to be a more of a, a reunion than I expected. So I found out a lot more about my mm. story uh, and my family's story at the time. But um, yeah, it was very emotional. I, yeah, yeah, it's uh, because I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't planning to do that. But so yeah. it was just, <laughs> I was thrown into it um, yeah. in the middle of my trip. So it's, it, it was, yeah, I mean, now I can, I think because I've processed so much of it uh, over the years, I can talk about it and see the irony of it, the whole story, how, um, yeah, how, you know, I end up being adopted by the people who colonize my my home country. So, um, but I know it's not my adoptive parents for Tina. So, uh, you know, so I'm not the colonizer, but the story is is that, and yeah, it's difficult to to assimilate the two, and also that's very confusing in terms of identity because, you know, part of me grew up in France, and my family, my adoptive family, is French, so I. Part of me is French somewhere, but my heart is definitely belong to Madagascar and to Africa. Um, but that's to try to reconcile the two at times is very difficult, especially when you think about history and what the French did to to my country. And and yeah, 
I did a whole project on African queens and I did a project um, uh, on the last African queen, uh, the last um, Malagasy queen that the French um, exiled away. So they completely removed her from, from Madagascar. And even going from that story and uh, telling that story because I was... Um, I was um, dressing up as the queen and telling her story. Yeah. That was very emotional in itself because for me, somehow I've embraced that the French side of me, but yet they've done so much damage in my country. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a very difficult story to to put the two together. And yet it's this part of me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just sort of, thinking through because obviously I, I i didn't know very much before we started to talk which is how we do all the interviews and just mm. as you're talking i'm kind of i'm trying to reconcile so many different things because on a very personal level you've been sort of you there's this severance isn't there between your history your family your you know your identity your culture mm. your um but then on then there's this bigger picture played out as a an act of colonialism almost that you know that this black like you then the echoes to the story of the queen being exiled you being mm. exiled and you go blimey i mean mm. you talk about working with through stuff can i ask it's maybe a personal question but where do you even start when was there a moment when a light bulb went on and you thought oh, hang on how i feel has got mm. to be linked to my experience of adoption and being adopted yeah having it's all come back from that trip to Madagascar I think it was so emotional that I, after that trip I, I had to learn a lot more about my African history so that's when I actually completely changed area of work so I went from education to working with community and I was working a lot more um, with African and Caribbean uh, community and telling about African history so for me it was really important that I start to know a little bit more about Madagascar and Africa. Because also when I went to Madagascar, I felt like I didn't belong because I've left such mm. a long time ago. I, I, I didn't speak the language anymore. I, I don't know much about the culture. I didn't have any connection uh, with the country. So I felt like I was there, but not belonging to that country so for me it was at that moment it was like hold on a moment you need to reconnect to your roots and really understand where you're coming from um and so yeah it's it's really stemmed from that trip but also i think emotion wise i think i slowly i don't know how that's uh happened <laughs> for sure um but I'm starting to analyze, and also I think uh, in terms of doing some type of therapy, um, I began to understand that some of the emotion that I've kept inside, I think, suppressed over the years was linked to, to my story. Um, I've learned to just fit in places um, and get myself small and uh, not really being myself. So I had it to come out of myself. And I think that's when I started again to do a lot of uh, creative work, doing the theater, mm. and putting myself out there to um, to really try to discover who I was um, exactly and what I like to do. And um, so, yeah, that's that has been 
a long journey of um, discovering who I am and my identity. And I think it's kind of a journey that is still continuing um, mm. as I go along. And also done some DNA tests um, to really understand, because Madagascar is, is a very mixed, diverse community as well. So, you know, for my DNA, I also found out that I've got some uh, Indonesian uh, blood in me. So that was also very interesting to know because I, you know, majority of my blood is from Africa, but also being to know that I've got other part of me from different parts of the world was uh, very good for me to know. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a process in itself, and I think you have to keep going um, to get out. I mean, adoptees talk about coming out of the fog, and I think that's probably what happened to me when I came back from that trip in Madagascar. I've, I felt so many different emotions at the time. Um, I had to find a way to process what I was feeling uh, and what it meant, and it wasn't always easy but I think it's if I didn't have any support and having all this therapy different modality that I've um, experienced over the years have helped me um, to try to find the more authentic side of me uh, rather mm. than what I've been told I should be yeah yeah I mean there's I feel like there's so many questions but I'm going to kind of contain myself a little bit and um, can I ask then in terms of the Francis that that route where you was a 10 year old taken to France, was there, were you an exception or was there lots of children that happened to or a number of children? Is there a community of people like yourself who sort of experienced that sort of post-colonial, whatever, kickback? Um, at the time, the agency through which my parents used, it was several of us. Because um, on that plane journey that I went to France, it was three or four of us arrived on that same day in France. And also that agency used to run like a yearly reunion. So for all the children that have adopted from Madagascar, um, so we'll have a reunion so we can meet up every year. But because I moved to the UK, I've lost track of uh, most of the mm. people. But I mean, there was a few people who were not 10 year old, but I would say eight or seven who were already quite big. So I don't think it was, I don't know if it's because Madagascar just made exceptions. Um, but yes, there's quite a few people who are older. I've also got um, a sister that has been adopted from Madagascar. We are not blood related, um, but she's also from Madagascar. But she was adopted, she was two years old. So very different story. She can't really remember much of that journey or, mm. um, but again, we, our adoption is very, well, the way we experience our adoption is very different because she doesn't want to know at all about her background. You know, she, she doesn't, she hasn't been back to Madagascar and she's not really interested at the moment. She keeps saying, yes, maybe next year, but she hasn't <laughs> been back since. Whereas for me, it was, I needed to know. Um, yeah. It was so important. And I think it's because also I had all these memories. I mean, you know, for years I keep repeating in my head because uh, we used to live in a fishing village. So I used to repeat in my head, not to forget uh, the route that I used to take from my house to the to the sea uh, to the seaside. So I couldn't forget some of those little tiny pieces of information. Um, so I think that's what really kept me going because I really wanted to 
to remember. And actually, when I went back and um, to to visit that journey, in my head, seems to be like it was very far away, but actually it was very close. So your memory as a child is already it's not as accurate as you think it is. So it's it's very difficult to. That's why I found it difficult for some of my memories to be so accurate because as a child, your memory is not the same as you have now. Uh, so some of my memories, it's it's very vague, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. And do you um? And I'm I was thinking about your adoptive parents and what is their perspective on adoption now you know you're you're a you're a woman you've kind of you've 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 tried to make sense of what you experienced and how do they see it now because i'm sure they thought they were doing a good thing mm. well that's an interesting question because i that's one thing i still need to to do is to speak to my adoptive parents about how they're feeling about it because we have not really spoken about it um I think when I was trying to find myself, I kind of distanced myself a lot from my adoptive parents. Um, we still speak, but we don't speak about, you know, this type of thing. Yeah. Um, and I still, you know, I go back and I still say I'm going home to go to France, which is interesting in itself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've not had that deep conversation to see. Um, because for me, it will be very, if I start that conversation, it's going to be very deep and I have to address the whole colonization and the white savior. And I know that uh, my adoptive family is, is a Catholic. So there's that link with the Catholic missionary. So I was adopted for the church. So there is that um, part of wanting to, to do good. Um, mm. But the way I have lift my adoption is also you know i i am grateful you know we have to be grateful we always been told to be grateful for being an adoptee for what we have and i am grateful for all the education and all the opportunity i've had but at the same time i also have to acknowledge that it hasn't been an easy journey and um adoption has not made our life better in certain ways because you still have to face all the the trauma and nobody has helped us with that side of the trauma. So it's it's that's quite intense. Um, so I, at some point, if I speak to my parents, I have to address those deep issues um, because it has, has affected me uh, and my adult life. So it's quite important. So I think I need to find the right time and the right place to to start that conversation. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even think my parents realize also how much trauma was attached to my adoption. And I think that also is what I blame a lot of the um, uh, adoption agency for not doing yeah. any work before they adopt children because you just bring a child into a family thinking like everything is okay, but that child has had a life before. And you don't know what I, yeah, they've been through. And, you know, as part of some of the therapy I had to do, I was I was even surprised myself. I had to one of the therapy session. I had to take like a list of trauma that I've been um, in life, and I pretty much had all the tick on that boxes. And I was like, oh my goodness, 
have been for this, but actually mm. taking it for granted. I didn't actually realize this was actually a trauma. And we're talking about, you know, we take things for granted like um, um, a natural disaster. So when I was a child in, in Madagascar, I went for a big cyclone. So our house got destroyed. My mother nearly died also during that period. So for a four or five year old, that's quite traumatic in itself. Um, but adoptive parents would not get no information about such an event because also the adoption agency would not have that information because I don't think they are interested in finding out what has been happening in that child's life before mm. they get adopted. So I think it's, yeah, it's uh, it does create a lot of difficulty for that child and for that uh, adult when they move on. Um, and yeah, and I wish there's a way for adoption agency to put a little bit more effort into finding out more about the child and how that child can be supported uh, in terms of, you know, emotional, but also cultural support when they get adopted. And I mm. think that will really help. And also for the family, I think family needs support in that sense as well. I mean, when I see um, stories about families giving back a child, a difficult child, because they can't cope with it, I get really angry and frustrated because, you know, that child is not being difficult because it's difficult. That child will probably have a lot of trauma and that's, it's his way of expressing that trauma. But as an adult, we automatically think, oh, it's, it's too difficult to handle. And yeah, for me, that is really difficult to, to accept and to, yeah, to tolerate. Um, so I think there's need a lot more structure uh, in terms of what is training. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised because uh, what I'm seeing is you're you're not talking in terms of oh, adoption needs to be abolished. You're talking in terms of like oh let's change adoptions. I'm surprised because I you know I shouldn't presume, but from your story, I would say well, wouldn't it be of wouldn't it well wouldn't it be reasonable that you thought adoption shouldn't happen? I mean, I'm not against not having adoption at all. I think. There's place for it, but it's depend on the circumstances. I think a lot of the adoption that's happening at the moment they're not done in the right structure. Um because there is there is children who does need support and you know need new home. Uh, and I totally see the point of why a new family to be there to support them and to love them is important. But for me, it's that to making sure that actually the child receive emotional, cultural, and anything that's a need. Um, and I, I don't always see that. I've spoken to so many adoptees over the years, and most of them had no support at all. And I think that's where I found it difficult. Personally, if you ask me if I would adopt, I would say no, because of my mm -hmm. own personal experience. Um, because I think you need a lot. It's not just about love. You need a lot more than just love to be able to adopt a child. And I don't know if I have the capacity to provide all the emotional support that that child would need. I know some people will argue that you know it's better for me to offer a home and a loving place for a child. But 
for my own experience, it's equally important to have that emotional support. Um, so that's the main reason why I couldn't adopt. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's a very personal, I think, decision to adopt. And yeah, yeah. I mean. It, uh, I'm also, not looking for ask... you to give it like a definitive answer because I think that it is complicated and, you know, you shouldn't, you don't have to have a decision. You don't yeah. have to have a stance on it. You don't have mm. to. Uh, so my other issue about a lot of the adoption from Africa is some of those children still have parents over there and they have not been abandoned, you know. So there is not, there is this, almost like a trafficking of children going on um, that I, I don't agree. Uh, I think if the parents are still there and able to, to look after the child, even if they are in poverty, I think the parents should be able to look after them and we should be providing support to that family somehow. Mm. Um, but because also the, the separation, I think that is a very big deal being separated from a mother, a child separated from the parents create a lot of trauma as well. Uh, and the loss of that family and that culture um, is so deep uh, in themselves that I think that in itself, for me, it's, it's, it's not valid enough to, uh, to adopt the child. And I have, yeah, I have a real problem with people adopting, knowing that the parent of the child is still, out there yeah yeah and um, you say you you you're an adoption coach and you support other um uh, adoptees so can you tell me a little bit about that what the work you do and how you kind of how you got into that um well i got into it i i i trained as a coach um and actually originally i was going to be because my i do a lot of work with arts and culture organizations so originally i actually trained to be a coach um for uh to be a, lead, a creative leader coach uh, so i was going to work with leaders within arts and culture organization uh, and coach them in those areas that they need in terms of leadership but as more and more I was looking into my adoption and how it has affected me, um, I wanted then to move into supporting adoptees. So the work I do is really very much about talking with the adoptees about who they are and what their stories are and where they want to be in life. Um, I mean, a lot of people confuse coaching and therapy which is very different because mm. in my in my line of coaching i do not um deal with all the traumas that adoptee uh would have faced that would be the work of the therapist so i will be only looking at how they navigate their current story to become to get where they want to be um what their ideal identity would be and how they can navigate through those um process um, but I know that it's very connected, so I I work very connected also with therapists. So if I it came to a moment when an adoptee is in difficulty, then I will have to refer them to a therapist. Um, but yeah, so my work is very much just supporting from the present to the future uh, to get them to to be who they want to be uh, and get to that identity that they want uh, to become. Hmm. Um, 
So how can people, if people want to find out a bit more about yourself or want to get in touch or see some of the work that you've produced, how can people do that? Uh, the best place is to go to my website. So it's crystalpedicure.com. Um, and yeah, everything is there. So all the information about my coaching, also all the creative work I've done in the past. Um, you find some if people who've worked with me have left some testimonials, so you can see also what people think about the work I've been doing. <laughs> and I'm also um, going to be uh, launching a, a podcast where I'll be speaking, having a conversation with Black adoptees about their identity and how they navigate uh, their own story. Uh, so that will be coming up in June. What's that um, called? Black adoptees' identities. Right. Well, we'll put the links to all of that into the show notes as well. Yeah. So people can um, definitely follow that and um, click in, link into that. And if they want to contact you directly, they can do that. Because that yes, feels like, um, I feel like there's we've sort of just scratched the surface of your story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and But I just really appreciate that you being so open and honest and candid about your experience. And I think that people will want to know more and they, they they know where to get you. And obviously then they can start to hear you on your own podcast, which sounds mm. really exciting. Uh, and I'll, I'll certainly be subscribing and uh, yeah, finding out more. So uh, Christelle, thank you so much for your time um, and you. really appreciate what you've said and uh, look after yourself. Thank you. Thank you for having me.